You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to those of you who are online. We're going to be in Psalm 43 today, so feel free to flip there in your Bibles or your phone or just uh, join us on the screen. We say this every week, right? We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we try to live out that identity through four particular values, values uh, by practicing the love with everyone always, by giving more than what makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives, and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's who we want to be. One of the things that we're trying to grow in is our prayer over each other. And if you haven't heard by now, we're, we have another tool yet to do that. On our website, you can find a link that will take you to our prayer wall. And on that wall, you can write things that are going on in your life so we can know and pray over those things. There's even a cool button to say, I prayed over these things. So maybe make that a rhythm in your life to be checking that from time to time and Know that it's there if you need it. If you send a request and it doesn't come up on the wall, uh, just know that I'm going to look at it first, and then I'll put it to the wall, because there's some crazy people on the internet, right? And we just don't want everybody to come and post on our wall. So take advantage of that. This week, we are trying to do some things that are a little bit more meaningful in this season uh, where normalcy has just been kicked out the door. Uh, Virtual caroling is not normal by any stretch of the imagination, but it's something that we want to do together. So we've got uh, people and families that have led Christmas songs, and at 7 o'clock on Thursday night, we're going to go live and we'll sing some songs together in your home. We have hot chocolate out in the auditorium or in the foyer for you, uh, your unit to take home, however big that is. I would say this, if you came in a 15-passenger van, you may think about getting more than just one, okay, and we'd be okay with that. Uh, So please, we'd love for you to join us. We'll do some things online there as well. Secondly, I wanted to remind you about our Christmas Eve service, 5.30 p.m. right here on Christmas Eve. Obviously, we'll have plenty of space to sprawl out in the building if you're uncomfortable being in uh, maybe uh, a room that would be a little bit more crowded than it normally is. And then lastly, uh, if you are a volleyball player or if you are not, which it doesn't matter, uh, the plan is of right now is that we would start our volleyball season up here in the beginning of January. So sign-ups are starting right now. You can talk to Caleb for more details. Well, let's head into Psalm 43 today, and we'll read this together. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning? Because the oppression of the enemy. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a leer, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father, we are gathered here uh, today uniquely in all of history. We, particular people, in this singular time and place, and we have come here to say, Lord, accomplish your purpose within us. Uh, Tune our hearts to your voice and your spirit. Wake us uh, to be present to you and to one another in the hour that we have together. For it is you, God, who has gathered us from various places to be here online and in person, and it's you alone who knows our hearts and our needs. So, Lord, we pray today that your word would be sufficient and that, God, you would soften our hearts for your instruction. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, I'd like to start out, as always, by saying hello to our kids that are in the room. You guys have done a great job uh, in the weeks that you've been in here. Today... Uh, we are going to talk about a hero that came to the earth that doesn't necessarily fit what we think a hero should be. Now, I don't know if you guys have a favorite toy that you're playing with right now in the season. I'll tell you this, in my house, uh, as always, it's a nativity set uh, where there are magi and headless shepherds worshiping the king next to Elsa and Anna. It's just the way it is in our house, right? When I was growing up, my favorite toy, my favorite cartoon was G.I. Joe. And I know there's a lot of other gentlemen my age that grew up the same way. What I loved about G.I. Joe was they were heroes, heroes that swept in to save the good people from the bad people. They were heroes that at the end of every episode, it seems, of every cartoon of G.I. Joe's, the good people would be laughing and happy and the bad people would be sent away. And I think if I'm honest, that idea of what a hero is has kind of not helped me in understanding the type of hero that Jesus is. Because Jesus isn't always the hero that takes away the bad things in our life. But he's the hero that we need. And so I'm going to give you five words that I want you to listen for today. Five words. The first is the word expected. It means what you hope for. Blame. The word peasant. King. And the word inward. So let's go. You know, if we would take a snapshot of the world as it was... In the 400 years between the last page of our Old Testament and the first page of Matthew in our New Testament, uh, we would see in our history books that there was great turmoil in that time. Now, the Bible or scholars often call the 400 years between the New and Old Testament as the 400 years of silence, but it wasn't so silent. If you would read your history books, you would learn about Alexander the Great, who in that time conquered much of the known world and spread Greek language and influence across the area. He conquered the land that the, the, the God's people called the land of Canaan, the promised land. He conquered that. And at some point, Alexander dies at somewhat of an early age. And it is in those moments that the Israelites get up the courage to lead a rebellion. 
And they make a revolt, and it's called the Maccabean Revolt. And you can read about it. And it's successful for a brief time as the Israelites experience freedom. But it is gone swiftly and quickly when the general from the Roman Empire, Pompey, walks into Jerusalem and conquers the land in 63 B.C. And so God's people in that 400 years have faced a revolving door of oppressors and conquerors. What the people of the nation of Israel want in the moments before Jesus comes to the earth. What they wanted most was that their power and their influence would be returned. They yearned for a great leader that would lead them back into prosperity and into flourishing. And they knew of the promise. They knew of the prophecy that there would be one who would come to save them and restore them. Their expectations would, that would be that that king would look like the King David that they had read about so long ago. Their expectations would there, was that there would be one who would lead them in a great military campaign and into political greatness. The promised one that they hoped in would restore them to relevancy and influence across the globe and crush their enemies. They wanted earthly victory, power and just from an earthly king, and they wanted a life that is far easier than it was in the present. A.W. Tozer writes in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, he says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What is in our head, what we think God is like, what we think God should do, what we think we deserve, what we think he should act like, all of that creates the perspective of a God that we worship. And what is certainly true of the Israelites right here in the moments before the coming of Christ was their minds and thoughts were full of grand ideas that limited their availability to see God for who he really was. They had no room for him. The nature of their unexpected circumstances, God's chosen people right here before the birth of Christ, are exiled in some way. They are oppressed without power and influence. And in those circumstances, they redefined the object of their hope. Their capacity to see God as he truly was, was superseded by their own lust for power and status and position. And in doing so, the only room that they left for God was to come as a God that fit their expectations. And we know this. We know this because the good majority of God's people in the nation of Israel did not come to believe in Jesus. They missed it. They rejected him, and they rejected him because he didn't fit the description that they were hoping for. Today, we want to ponder about the nation of Israel, and we want to ponder the question, what room do I have for an, uns uh, uh, an unexpected, surprising God to enter my life? We have walked in the season of Advent here. 
it's a season, uh, I'll call it, of wonderment. It's just a, a, a time that we are stirred to joy. It's a season where we have the expectation that the unexpected might find its way to us. Uh, Christmas is the season where it is full of surprises, uh, from somebody giving us a gift that is so unbelievable that it moves us uh, speechless, uh, to the moments that we sort of have to kind of pep ourselves up and say, oh, a sweater. <laughs> Thanks for that. I appreciate that. Oh, it lights up, you say. Oh, it's cozy. Thanks. All of us want to experience the delight of receiving the unexpected, the not sought after. God, good surprises bring us bewilderment of moments when people who didn't have to think of us thought of us. When people treat us not as we feel like they deserve or we deserve, but as they desire. When people look at us not through the lens of our own eyes, but through their benevolent eyes. And so as we walk into this season of Advent, where we rest and remain in the faithfulness of God, that in Bethlehem, God stepped into the world to become the Christ, humanity's Savior, that he came to restore God, peace between God and man, to provide a way of redemption for a humanity that was stuck in its sin and without hope. We celebrate and remember the faithfulness of God in these moments as a way of refreshing our longing for his return again in a day that he will prove to be just as faithful as he was back then, when he will set up his everlasting kingdom under his rule and his reign and his love, where peace will fill the earth. And so as we reflect in the past faithfulness of God, what will strike us is the sure surprise of an infinite holy God taking on the confines of human flesh to walk with his creation to be struck by the loving kindness of a God that came, but surprised by the unexpected way that he took on flesh. To not only take on flesh, which he did in humiliation, but to take on the flesh of a child who would be dependent on his creation. But even more surprising than a God uh, that came in loving kindness for his people that took on flesh, and even more wonderful than his arrival as a babe that was dependent on mankind, even more unexpected is that our God took on the flesh to be born a babe to a poor carpenter and an ostracized woman without status or class or means. God came to us through a humiliation that stripped him of his majesty. And he took on flesh to become a dependent child to a family that brought him no esteem, born in a city that no one cared about, delivered in a stable where no sane person should ever live. Jesus is the peasant king that we need. Not with robes of glory, not with great fanfare, not to a people of power, not in palaces, the birth of Christ is by far the biggest, most unexpected surprise that humanity has ever received. Yet the gift of Christ came to a people who were ill-prepared to make room for him, ill-prepared to see their need for him. When we read about Jesus' ministry, we read that one day he entered the temple in his hometown, 
And he taught, and they were astonished. And this is what they did after that. Such a small town thing, I think. They said, isn't that the son of Joseph? Like, isn't that the son of Mary? Aren't his brothers such and such? Aren't his sisters this? Where did he get this wisdom? And they took offense to the son of a carpenter, the son of an ostracized woman, because he had capability they didn't believe he should have and had the audacity to say things that they didn't think he should say. And they rejected him. That is the normative in the story of Christ. In reading the birth of Christ that is found in, the, in a few of our Gospels, we hear the tale of an innkeeper, an innkeeper who had no room for Joseph in a pregnant Mary, rejected and forced to deliver in a barn, not meant for men and women, but for mere animals. And in reading the narrative of Christ's birth, we can sort of pass over the innkeeper as irrelevant, as a trivial part of God's greater story of his arrival. But the innkeeper is not a dismissible, insignificant part to the story of Christ. The innkeeper has deeper, more profound significance. The innkeeper is a symbol of a humanity that has never had room for God to come that is not what they expect. There were innkeepers in the desert after the exodus that complained and longed to be in slavery again in Egypt because they weren't getting what they wanted in the desert. We read about innkeepers in the book of Job, in the three friends of Job, who were unwilling to remove themselves from their perspective of God that they saw was right. It was innkeepers that made Mary and Joseph flee Bethlehem and move in, into Egypt as a refugee. It was innkeepers that rejected Jesus in his hometown. It was innkeepers that made Jesus flee from city to city and town to town. It was innkeepers that made our Savior be tortured. It was innkeepers that placed our Savior on the cross. Innkeepers are everyone who don't have room for a God that they don't expect. I am an innkeeper. We are an innkeeper. The innkeeper is who humanity sees in the mirror every time they wake up. We can hear stories of the Israelites who are blinded by their own desires of a return to glory and relevance and power that they miss the humble Christ, and we can shake our heads. We can gawk at the innkeeper in the story of Christ that rejected him and, and Mary and made them deliver in a barn. We can throw our hands up at those in his own hometown who rejected the Savior. And we can hate Judas for his betrayal. But here's what I have found in my life. I am far more like Judas than I am like Jesus. And I'm far more an innkeeper than I want to be. We are a creation who have grown so focused on our own expectations, on our own plans, that we miss the unexpected surprise of a God that didn't come to seize power, but to redefine it. A God that came in meekness, that didn't come as royalty, but a peasant, that didn't sit on a throne, but lay in the hay, 
that wasn't praised by the voice of man, but extolled by the angels in heaven, singing glory to God in the highest. A peasant king who redefined power, who didn't come to be a celebrity, but to serve humanity to the point of death. He came not to give us what we want. He came to be everything that we needed. Jesus is the good surprise to humanity that is so blinded by their own expectations, by their own sin and desires that they have no room. The unexpected surprising birth of Christ has a far wider reach than a celebration that we have one time a year. The unexpected surprising birth of Christ has considerable weight in our living, in our thriving, and in our flourishing because it reminds us that our God is not one to let our expectations get in front of his plans. You know, so many of us in this room have experienced moments in our life where we lament and say, this was not what I had planned. This is not what I wanted. Sometimes life fails us, doesn't live up to our expectations, and it can make us bitter, it can make us jealous of the happiness of others, it can make us jaded in the day-to-days of life. It can and has changed the object of our hope. Changed the object of our hope and our ability to see God for who he is. And there are some of you in this room that know exactly what I'm talking about. You have let an event that has happened in your life fill up the room of your life, and the only space that God has is for him to come as you want him to. And then and only then you'll come. And those are moments that aren't just for a few of us. Every one of us in this life will face those types of hardships. What we've been purposeful in doing in this season of Advent is to bring in the Psalms. Because the Psalms speak so beautifully and clearly to the happenings of our life. I can't think that the, I can't help but think that the wisdom of Psalm 43 is good for our hearts today. Psalm 43, like most of the Psalms, is written by King David. It was written at a time that King David's own son, Absalom, was leading a revolt in Jerusalem against him. David flees the city, and in his exile, he laments on the situation. He yearns for God's deliverance, and he preaches to his own soul. To say that it's unexpected or difficult to see your own son lead a rebellion with your people against you is an understatement. But in this psalm, we find the crux of the reason why David is considered a man after God's own heart. It's not that he's perfect, and it's not that he's sinless. It's how he responds. So let's walk through this psalm that we read. David started out by saying, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against ungodly people from the deceit and unjust man. Deliver me. David, not unlike us, in the moments of surprise, when unexpected things happen in our worlds, things that we weren't prepared for, he cried out to God for justice. He wants God to make this bad situation right. He wants a G.I. Joe. 
He wants God to sweep in and set it all right. David doesn't like the happenings of his life. He is none too pleased, and he makes it known to God. Vindicate me. And then he says, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? And again, what naturally happens when things don't go our way is that we tend to blame. We tend to find blame to somebody else outside of ourselves for creating the circumstances of our life. We blame somebody that my life isn't going the way that I want to, and it's your fault. And David ponders a God that rejected him that he said he took refuge in. David blames God and says, where are you? Why have you turned your face from me? Why have you allowed this? How many times have we felt that same thing? Completely natural for us in this. Completely like us to do that. But this is where it turns. This is where it turns. Listen to David. David says next, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. This is a humble confession of one who loves God, saying that my light and my truth are not enough. Lord, my light and my truth, they are not enough. David says, I can't see straight, God. I can't think straight, God. And in his submission, he says, Lord, you lead me. Lord, don't make this about me. Don't let this be about what I want. Send your light. Send your truth. Let it be what leads me here. Isn't this the step that we miss most? Isn't this the step where we move from a humble servant to an innkeeper? And David goes on to say, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. David says, let your light, let your truth not mine. Let it be what leads me and let it lead me near you, God. Let it have me return to you, God. David is referring to the temple, the place of the meeting where God dwelled with humanity at that time. David longed that God would, by his truth and by his light, lead him back to the place where he could worship and praise God in his presence. David wasn't rejecting the tragedy of his life. He just refused to accept the story that he was creating in his soul. And then he turns and he talks to himself. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Well, not there yet. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David has hope in the God of rep redemption in the God that rescued but we know that in his lament that God hasn't arrived yet that God hasn't made it right that God has not rescued he has not redeemed but in this moment we see the very evidence of what makes David a man after God's own heart 
Because in his muck and in his mire, in his situation, David would not surrender to his feelings that were rising up within him, feelings of discouragement and depression. What did David do? He openly challenged them. And he brought them kicking and screaming in front of the Lord. He said, cast down feelings, hope in God. Put your hope in God, O my soul. Here David confesses that he believes that God will be faithful again, just as he had been before. You see, the difference between David and the innkeepers and the people of God in the moments before Christ arrived on the scene is that Israel let their circumstances and their feelings sweep them into redefining the object of their hope. They began to see the prophecies of the coming Messiah not as they were, but as they wanted them to be. But here in David, we see that it is his hope that redefines him. Israel changed their hope to fit their expectations. David changed his expectations to fit his hope. So many times in our surprising journey in life, we are met with the unexpected, right? We are met with a surprise. And if we are honest, it is far easier to blame the people of the world, to hurt others because we are hurt, to pull away from God in our distress. And little by little, over the course of time, we begin to redefine what we are hopeful in to resemble more of what we want in life. And often like Israel did, we become unwilling to accept God when he doesn't meet our terms. We have left no room. We have no room. An innkeeper is one that looks at the physical world and wants to find their justice there, to be relevant there, to find their comfort and pleasure and power there. And they often miss the opportunities in the unexpected where God has called me not to fix the problems in my world, but take an inward examination of my own heart, of my own desires and my own expectations. David simply comes to the Father. He lamented. He asked God why. And he remembered the steadfast love of the Father. He reflected on his faithfulness. And he preached to his own soul. In this season, as we reflect on the surprising, unexpected manner of a peasant king who came to the world as our Savior, might we be a people who have the time to address the nature of a soul that looks more like an innkeeper than it does, David. And may we reflect on whether or not I have made room in my life for God to come in a way that I'm not prepared, nor in a way that I hope for. Because you see, a God that submits to my own expectations, a God that submits to my own desires, does not lend me to worship him. It lends me to worship myself. We will find nearer ourselves nearer to God when our plans don't go the way we want them to. But when those plans change, what gets redefined? God or me? A God that submits himself to my expectations and my desires 
is that a God that we worship? What we've come to see in the arrival of Christ, in this beautiful incarnation of a peasant king, is not a God that arrives nearer my wants, my expectations, and my desires, but one that simply begs me to come as I am. Just as the magi, just as the shepherd, to come, sometimes kicking and screaming, to come and adore a humble Christ, not for who I want him to be, but simply for who he is. Because he is our hope. And that hope isn't up for my redefining. That hope redefines us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning, and we are bewildered, perplexed, surprised, in awe by the way that you came. Lord, you have shown us uh, that you are a God that doesn't fit into our box. You are a God that doesn't fit into our expectations. And so, Lord, will you just make us a people who don't try to make you fit into my box, but, Lord, that we would be a people who let our hope in you redefine what the box is. And so, God, we just pray that your spirit today would fill us with wisdom, that you would bring conviction where you need to bring it. And Lord, that we would ponder and reflect in this moment, in these moments of your faithfulness as we remember Christ and let us be refreshed to know that you will be faithful again. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.